Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to the book of Genesis. This is week three as we walk with Abraham and his family uh, through this time of their life as they're seeking God's blessing as a family. And uh, sometimes it works out well for them and sometimes it doesn't. Um, if you're visiting with us today, glad that you are here. Um, we are catching up on uh, a story of a blended family, Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Um, Abraham has a, a son uh, through Hagar. Her name is Ishmael, was Sarah's servant. And uh, they were trying to help God um, accomplish his will and it didn't work out the way they had intended. Uh, and instead, then God has come back to him last week. And we've talked about what happens when God answers a prayer his way and he says no to us and what it looks like to be a worship leader in our homes during those times and today we're going to find ourselves in Genesis chapter 18 as we look at it I just started writing down words and the words that came to my pen first were were this that tomorrow doesn't have to look like yesterday in fact what I want to let you know is it shouldn't and as we walk through life as individuals, as families, as parents, we kind of find ourselves wrestling with this a little bit. Um, if you were walking up with us through Abraham and Sarah's story the past few weeks, uh, they're 23 years in at the, the point of chapter 18 uh, at least. And they have been a fractured home for a while. Um, Abraham and Sarah, they've had disagreements over, you know, her servant, some ideas. Abraham, the way that he's kind of allowed things to come and go they've just been this fractured community and they're actually reaping the fruit of what happens when we lead our homes fractured like that and last week we talked about God's vision and his visit to them and this week we're going to be talking about how God comes again and really exposes and addresses some fractures that are going on on his way to fulfilling his promise and that's the goodness of God that God doesn't get distracted and and stop carrying out his promise God continues carrying out his promise as he starts to expose the fruit of sin but also the fruit of healing in his presence and so um, that's what we're looking into this week um, I don't know about you, um, but I, I got to go to um, Waco not long ago. We had uh, dinner uh, or breakfast at, at one of the places that, you know, um, Chip and Joanna Gaines built, right? So, so they built this place, had a great breakfast. And I got a shirt that says, the good old days are yet to come. And, and it made me smile. I thought, what a great way to look at that. Because how many times have you longed for the good old days? Have you ever been there? Like, like if you're a parent of a teenager, you're like, oh, I just wish I had the good old days when my biggest struggles were like diapers and not sleeping. And if you're a parent of a preschooler, you're like, huh, don't, that's not good right you know what I'm saying it, oh, I just wish it was the good old days when you know we could do this and that and the other but but we don't think of the big picture and 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 what's funny is our memory starts to exaggerate things in our past and believe it or not the University of Oregon did a study on our memory and do you know one of the greatest tools that our memory uses to remember events and circumstances exaggeration isn't that amazing? So men, you're not necessarily lying when you said you caught a fish this big. If it's been a long time, your brain has made that fish big because that story was important to your life. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get me wrong. Short-term memory doesn't work this way. If you caught a fish this big and by the time you got home it was this big, you're a liar. All right, let's just call it what it is. 
but, but over time we exaggerate. And so what's funny is, what we've learned is, our minds start to exaggerate the goods and the bads of a season that stick out. In other words, you might be thinking of a time in your life that was bad. For us, that was 2010. That's the year we don't ever want to relive again in our home uh, as, as a family. And you might say, you know, what happened? And if we were to walk through this and the world fell apart, we went home from the Christmas Eve service, bawling in the car, sending our kids with mom and dad. It's like, we love Jesus. We hate life, Lord. You know, just had one of those moments. It was just a tough, tough year. And, and so when I think of 2010, I think of all of this bad that, that we had to wrestle with uh, as a family and a church and all these things. You know, in 2010, I won a new car. Does that happen in the worst year of your life? You're like, Pastor, your worst year is different than my worst year. No, not really. But my mind, it just, it clings to something and puts a hold of it. As my children are older now, if you were to look on my phone, I have two pictures of Connor and Ashley. The one on the screen that you see all the time when you see my lock screen is them from a year ago. They're wonderful. They're grown up. If you swipe it up, it's them when they were like nine and six. Because I'm, oh, I just remember those Saturday morning fresh grass. Oh, we're going to go upward today. And what a great season in our life. Just remember these things. And Christy's like, do you remember, you know, all that came with that? Our, may, our memory likes to exaggerate things. And what's funny is when we start to do that, I, I think that we can, instead of looking for what God has for us tomorrow... We start to try to make tomorrow just look like an improved yesterday, right? Just, just like, this looks like an improved yesterday or maybe the opposite. Maybe when you're living your life with and for Jesus Christ or making decisions as a family, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to put up guardrails so that tomorrow won't be like the yesterday that you experienced. And, and one of those two things tends to find its way out in us because quite honestly, those big exaggerations either draw us in or they push us to keep it from happening again. And when we start our, our faith walking like that in Jesus Christ, if we start making our family and leading them a, a, a broken coping skill for sin, then instead of following Christ into his new tomorrow, because his mercies are new every day, we start trying to interject ourselves into his will and we start breaking tomorrow before it gets here. And so as I was looking through this, James chapter four, verse eight came across my plate. And this is what the Bible says. If you're, we're gonna jump to places today, you can write this down and reference it later. It says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, you know, what's interesting in this passage of scripture, what, what God says here, or it's the spirit inspires James to say here, is not, hey, listen, Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you and here's how you do it. If you'll just go put on the clothes from yesterday, if you'll just go ahead and, and, and get back in and, and get back to where you were when I found you, then we're gonna be able to have this amazing tomorrow together. No, no, quite the opposite. James writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, they are scattered, they are broken, they are all over the place, hope is bouncing around the corner, and what the Spirit says to them is this, is you need to draw near to God, but the way that you draw near to God matters. 
The way that you approach him matters. The way that you look to him and tell him your list of demands, it, it matters. And what he says is this, is when you come to him, you cleanse your hands and you purify your hearts. He's not calling you to go backwards. He's calling you and I to wipe that slate clean again. And church, as you and I are living for tomorrow, here's what, where we start is drawing near to God doesn't re mean revisiting all the things that you think God should have done in your life by now. It doesn't mean that if God would just give you the life or the money that someone else had, if he would just allow you to revisit that phase, then tomorrow it means emptying your hands. Psalm chapter 24 verse 3 says this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will be found in his holy place? Verse 4 says, Only those who are clean and pure in their hearts can make it to where he is, can be with him. You see, church, as we talk about leading our families, what we have to know is we can't lift up our hands. We can't swear deceitfully. We have to approach him with a pure heart. And so today, as we talk about tomorrow, the beginning of it is this. You and I must be willing to lay down our yesterday. Because yesterday, you had a dream of what life would be like when you were 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60. Yesterday, you had a dream about how everything was going to lay out. And what God says is, put it down, empty your hands, purify your hearts, and you come before me. So allow those exaggerations to fade so that the imagination of the Holy One can be all that you focus on. So church, before we jump into Abraham's story and Sarah's story, would you just pray with me right now and let's ask the Lord to purify our hands and cleanse our hearts. Father God, uh, this morning it's pretty easy to know that we have memories and expectations in our life. Lord, that we want you to redeem. That, that we have our, our pasts that we need you to fix before we move. We say all of these things, but God, what you tell us in your word is that we are to let go of all of that. You are not the God who redeems broken dreams. You are not the God who, who fixes things that have no value or worth. But you are the God who makes all things new. And so Father God, don't rebuild from my past a different version of me. But today, God, would you allow us to lay all that we have at your feet? Lord, would you allow us to lay what is burdening our hearts, the things that we come to you in order for you to make good again? Would you just allow us to lay them down so that we can draw near to you today? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, in this story, we're going to look at two people. We're going to look at Abraham and Sarah. 
And, and actually in this story, we're gonna see an example in both of them. One holding on to what the Lord has for them and the other holding on to yesterday. And we're gonna look at the fruit of that and, and what it causes and how it happens. So let's just jump into it really quick. Verse one, we'll only read verse one, Genesis chapter 18 today. Look in your Bible with me. This is what it says. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And he sat down at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now the hymn in this one is Abraham, okay? So the hymn right here is Abraham. What the Bible says this is that the Lord appears to him at the oaks and Abraham sees him as he's sitting by or kind of standing by his tent in the heat of the day. So here he is watching the Lord peers. And last week we talked about when the Bible said that the Lord peered, the name that he gave us was the overwhelming God or the God of the mountain, the God who's above it all. It showed his power. Abraham needed some uh, repenting uh, extra gift in his life. And so God showed up and, and showed himself and Abraham fell as a dead man. I mean, he just laid down and he worked worshiped but this time God when he appears doesn't appear under that name he he appears under this very familiar word Yahweh it's not a descriptor of God like God of the mountain God of my peace God of provider it's not that kind of descriptive name of God instead it's the personal name of God that the Lord shared with Moses at the burning bush you see, names matter, and it matters here because in this spot, in this piece of Scripture, Yahweh is inviting him to come near. Yahweh is saying, Moses, I am showing up in a personal way to visit with you. It's not by accident. God's not showing up for him to need repentance. He's showing up to woo him, to invite him, to draw near. I started thinking of, of parties. Kids have been on my, my, my mind a little bit this week. Um, did you ever throw parties for your kids when, when you were little? Moms, you're still throwing parties. Did you ever match the invitation with the activity? Did that ever happen to you? We, we did all kinds of parties growing up. We did baking parties. And listen, we, we had like baking sort of every, any guy who got that, you knew what you were in for. You know what I'm saying? Like a, the invitation, it tells you what is coming. And in this point in time, God is saying, I wanna personally visit with you. Yahweh, this is who I am. I'm inviting you near. And church, in this moment, Abram has a corrected heart and God invites him close. And as I was thinking of you and me this morning, John chapter 15 came to mind. In John chapter 15, verse four, Jesus says to his disciples, abide in me and I in you. It's not just this invitation to draw near, but it's an invitation to dwell. Church, as you and I start living for a different tomorrow, what we have to know is that invitation comes through one name, through one man, through Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to you is, listen, if you believe, if you are my people, then abide in me, dwell in me. Stay close to me. I can't imagine uh, Abraham doesn't have what, he ha what we have. He's communed with God, but he didn't know the power of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh in the way that we do. 
So Moses sees the Lord in the distance and, and men with him. And his appearance is personal. And so he does what he, his heart should do. Look at verse two and three. And then I want you to look down to verse nine with me to see what Abram did and what Sarah did when the God of all creation showed up. Verse two, he being Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet with them. He bowed himself to the earth and said, Oh Lord, if you have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now look down uh, here in your Bible to verse nine. And then they, this is to be the visitors, the angels and the Lord said this. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abram says, she is in the tent. Now, now here's what I want you to know, church. As we start looking at how do I live a different tomorrow than I'm in today, the first thing that we need to know is when the Lord invites us to draw near, we don't invite him. He invites us and we respond by drawing near. Through the cross of Christ, Jesus died so that you could come near through him but not to make God smaller, that through him we would be able. So God invites us to draw near, and, and this is what I want you to know. In order to have a different tomorrow, we have to change our position when it comes to the Lord. You see, see Abram doesn't say he's sitting at the tent. He doesn't see God in the distance, and he goes, hey, how you doing? Come over, come visit for a while. He, he doesn't say, hey, Lord, hope you have a great day. It's not like seeing someone in the mall. What he does is very quickly, he's sitting by the tent. He saw, he ran, and he invited the Lord, please stay. Please stay with me a while. He, he's not saying, please come over here. What he's saying is, I was over there. God, you are here. And so I'm gonna get out of where I was to get where you are. Church, there's no presumption in this moment. There's no, there's no asking God to, I'll start walking your way and you start walking mine. If, God, if you want God to meet you in the middle, you're gonna be standing alone for a long time. You follow me? What scripture shows us is if we're gonna live with him, then we have to get up from where we are and receive his invitation. And what I love about Abraham is when he saw, he ran and he said, please do not pass me by. Sarah, on the other hand, didn't have the same experience. Look back to verse nine again. The angels say, the Lord says, where is Sarah, your wife? And this is what Abram says. Abraham says, she is in the tent. See, I think when we're holding on to things in our life and we'll walk through Sarah's story, we remember she had already talked about the Lord's been preventing me from having kids, from being a part of the blessing. Then she had the idea of Hagar hooking up with Abraham and that didn't work out well. You know, all this has been going on, all this has been stirring on. And so when the Lord show, shows up, Abram actually goes and tells his wife what's going on and she stays back in the tent. 
as if Abraham is a representative for her as if that his drawing near equals her drawing near church have you ever thought the way that we greet visitors tells people what we really think about them have you ever thought about that have you ever walked into a house or a party or even church and you've noticed like some people's like hey and then there's others like people will like there's a tackle hug like how what just happened here see how we greet someone matters children we're going to stay with them a lot today when children see a friend they tend to make a beeline i see more parents reaching during that time because it, it tells us what our heart longs for and sometimes you and i might find ourselves like sarah like saying, God, I know you're near. I know you're out there. If you want me, you know where I am. Church, what that says about the heart of Sarah, it speaks volumes about her perspective. God hasn't come to where I am, so why would I go to where he is? That's living for a broken tomorrow. God has already extended the invitation. Praise God, Abraham didn't lie. Like when the Lord says, where's your spouse? You may need to say, Lord, you know he is getting drunk in the other room. You may need to say, Father God, my children, I know what they're out there doing right now and I know it doesn't honor you. I love that Abraham says to the Lord, you know where she is. She's in the tent. Could you imagine the joy of the Lord standing before you and your spouse wants nothing to do with it? Here's what I've come to know. That seems to be the story of many homes that have been fractured by broken faith. So what do we do? Well, we have to change our position if we can't change theirs. The second thing we start to see is after this change of position happened, Moses, or excuse me, Abraham starts to act. Look at verse four. We'll go all the way down through verse eight. And then we'll also look at verse 10. The Bible says this. Let a little water be brought. This is Abraham talking. Wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since, you, since you've come to your servant. And they said, do as you've said. So Abraham said to quickly, and he went to the tent and he said to Sarah, quick, three sayas of, of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And then Abraham ran to the herd. And he took a calf, a tender, good, uh, tender and good, and he gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds of milk and the calf and he prepared them and set it before them. And he stood by them while they ate under the tree. Just pause right there for a moment. Look at what he said to the Lord. He's already changed his position, but he says to the Lord, listen, would you let me, you know, stay by the, have a little bit of water, let me wash your feet, you want to rest under the tree, can I bring a morsel of bread for you? That's what he says. When, when the Lord says, that would be great, I would love to, to remain with you, go do what you said. Then he runs and he tells his wife, I need you to bake some cakes. And then he says, that morsel of bread's not enough. He goes out in the field and he says, we need to grill some steaks. And then he comes back and he says, bread and steak, what do I need? Butter, right? 
I need milk. I need curbs. We need some. This has turned into, would you like to stay a little while and have a bread and water to a feast? Do you, do you see his excitement in this? You see, Abraham has chosen to change his position before God. He has accepted that invitation and his actions reveal it because he chooses then to engage God with his whole life. With all that he can, he lays all that he is at the feet of the Lord. Do you remember what having littles was like getting them ready for game day. I had the joy and pleasure of going to watch uh, uh, Omar's two, two littles uh, play baseball the other day and I'm having flashbacks of what's going on and so if you have parents who have kids playing sports and stuff like that, we love coming out and cheering them on but, but catch this, it made me remember what Connor and Ashley were like when they were playing. Did anyone else's kids ever sleep in their uniform before the first game of the season? Yeah, I mean, they were ready. They, they were on it. They, they wanted it to happen. And don't get me wrong, that first game, Ashley goes out there in the middle of the soccer field and she sees a friend and she talks for like 20 minutes. But, but in the midst of this, this joy and excitement that they know what's before them, they knew what was tomorrow, they know that the game day is coming, and they just wanted to make sure everything was ready. Church, that's what Abraham does. He is so excited. The Lord has said, yes, I will dwell with you. Yes, you can dwell with me. That he goes and he makes a feast and look what he does. Go down to verse eight. This is the best part. Took the curds of milk, the calf, he prepared them. He set it before them and what did he do? He stood there and watched. He didn't try to eat with them. He just stood there and he watched them eat. It's a little creepy when we think about that today, right? If you invite people over to your house and they sit at the table and you start to eat and they're like, is it poisoned what's going on Abraham isn't the initiator he has learned that by now he has failed with, with the idea of having a, a child through another woman he has failed in pleading to ask God to bless his mess and make it holy and so instead of choosing to hold back, he chooses to engage God and he doesn't go any further than the Lord permits. It says he stood there and watched and I thought, I wonder if he stood there and let the Lord himself just feed him by his presence. Church, if you want tomorrow to be different than yesterday, are you willing to engage the Lord in the way that he is worthy? In a way that he commands and demands by who he is. Sarah does not do this. Look in verse 10 for me. The Bible says this about Abraham and Sarah. The Lord said, I'll surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And listen to what Sarah was doing. And Sarah was listening at the tent. She was listening at the tent door behind him. She's interested in what's going on. She's just wondering, will he call my name? Who knows what's going on in her heart? But, but I will tell you by the very least, she doesn't expose herself to the living God and she doesn't engage with him at all. She just sits and listens 
and waits. I wonder if what was going through her mind was I will not participate in this anymore. My husband is crazy. First, he went along with having a boy this way. He should have known it was a bad idea. Then he comes back, says he's visited with an angel again. My name's now Sarah. I have to re-embroider everything. Not Sarah anymore. He keeps going on all these blessings of God. Things are going on around me. And, and, and here I am, an old woman, and I am still barren. So I do not need to go out there again and hear one more reason why we're still not pregnant. He's really old and I'm getting old. So I'm just gonna stay here and I'm just gonna listen. I wonder if she thought, I'm just not gonna go out there and make a fool of myself. Church, how many times does holding back keep you and I from engaging with the living God. I'm afraid of what someone will think of me. I'm afraid of getting let down again. I'm afraid that God may not be sufficient. I'm afraid that God's timing, I know it's different, so he's not gonna answer my prayer. I, I may be afraid that God's gonna include me in some random way that's not good for me. I may be afraid that I may be let down because I've been let down for the past 23 years and even prior to that when we left home and left everything and now we live in the desert. I just wonder if one of the reasons she was holding back is because she wasn't willing to let go of herself and her yesterday. Would you listen to a verse that was close to my family's heart growing up? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15 says this. For if we are beside ourselves, uh, if you have an IV, it might say out of our minds, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who might no longer, who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died for their sake and was raised again. Do you know that God is calling you to live out of your mind crazy for him? Do you know that's what encountering the Lord looks like? Have you ever considered it, it means looking like a fool to the world? Who in the world would kill great animals that you need to eat? Who in the world would waste supplies of bread on strangers in the field? Who in the world would lay all of it down for, the, for this at the reality or the thought that the Lord has a blessing, has a plan in store for them? Sarah says, I'm not having it, but church, what God says is, this is the way my people live. God is my all in all, and he is my everything. So I must choose to leave where I've been to get where he is, and I must fully engage all that I am for all that he is. So at my house growing up, I found this verse early um, when Ashley was a baby. Uh, we used to put these passages in our church bulletin. Sweet little lady came and asked me what my verse was. I told her this one. She asked me for a different one, right? Church, in my house, between probably the age four and the age 12, if you heard me or my family call each other normal, we were insulting one another. Because our thought was we want our kids to get used to being crazy. 
We want them not to hold back for what's in the tent. What's in the tent with Sarah? Money, food, her reputation, what people might think, fear. Are any of those things better or stronger than what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has for those who love him? Not at all. How about anger, hurt, despair? Church, when you and I start to fill our treasures of tomorrow with things of yesterday, then we find ourselves holding back and living for something that is so far short of what God has for us, it isn't real. If you look at the, the religions of the world, it's amazing how their hopeful tomorrow just looks like today on steroids. God is not a God who needs our help and imagination. He's the God who's able to do more than we would ask or dream or dare to think. But you won't find it in the tent. You won't find it hiding back, pulling away in the midst of things. We have to choose to accept the invitation, leave where we've been to go where he is. We have to be willing to engage all that we are for all that he is, sell out completely for him. If you want a different tomorrow than you had yesterday, we must choose then to receive what he offers and believe what he says. Look at verse 11 through 15 with me, chapter 18. The Bible says it this way. Now Abraham and Sarah uh, were old and advanced in years. Uh, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now I want you to pause there, ladies, for just a second. I wonder if this felt two ways to Sarah, and I've never been a lady, so you'll have to help me. I wonder if she's thought, why did you wait this long? Now, my household's a mess. My relationship is fractured. We don't have a lot of time left. Now you want to fulfill this promise. I wonder if it's as much disdain as it was disbelief. And who filled with sin could blame her? Now I would have pleasure, verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, no, but you did laugh. Praise God that this isn't one of those moments where Abraham has learned after being corrected and rebuked by the Lord throughout his life. If you look through those words, the words of Abraham are non-existent. The Lord has made a promise. The Lord knows what's best. The Lord loves me and he loves you more than we love ourselves or could love one another. 
So if the Lord says a year from now that we're gonna have a child, then a year from now we're gonna have a child and it's gonna be better than we would have ever dreamed or imagined or done on our own. In fact, he might even say, look at our life up to now. Everywhere where the Lord has been in charge, it has been an amazing journey. Everywhere we have entered into the story, we've messed it up. So this time, for one time, for a moment, not a word. You see, because if we're gonna have a different tomorrow than we have uh, yesterday, then we must receive and believe what the Lord has said. We must own it and accept it. Sarah with 23 years of expectations she has borne the fruit of distrust which has yielded disbelief hiding in the tent she hears what God says and laughs and then God draws near to her in a way that is uncomfortable why did you laugh Sarah's heart is strong. She's holding on to it. Could you imagine this is one of those times I didn't laugh. Listen, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, who told you? The blame game. She did it, he did it, the snake did it, right? Why were you hiding? Well, we were naked. Listen, when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords ask you a question, lying is not the best option, amen? Ananias and Sapphira, But Sarah at this point, for whatever reason, so hurt, so worn out, so tired of following this crazy dream. So disappointed that this woman who she has disdain for, her child, not mine, will inherit the kingdom. I mean, God may have just corrected it, but for 13 years, she's been holding on to that. hiding the tent she's like I I don't choose to receive it I don't choose to believe it here's the beauty of the story when God makes a promise he sees it through that's the beauty God doesn't say you know what Sarah because you didn't believe I'm going to break my promise God is not a promise breaker he's a promise keeper but let me tell you what I believe Sarah missed out on the joy of the next 365 days. I believe that she had to eat the fruit of her misery because God was not going to change his plan. He wasn't gonna bless her mess. So church, maybe right now where you are, you're in a Sarah-like position. Maybe, maybe once upon a time, you were like Abraham. When, when God came near, you got up and went running. You laid it all out and, and stayed before him. And when he spoke, you just let his words wash over you. But, but maybe right now, you're more like Sarah. For, for the things of life have worn you down. And although God is at hand, you just, for whatever reason, want to remain inside the tent. Church, let me tell you this. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Lord is faithful to his promise, but he disciplines those he loves. And because he loves you, he's gonna draw you out of the tent. It may be on Labor Day and not the one we just celebrated, amen? 
But no, all you have to do is reach out to the God who has invited you to draw near. Unzip the tent and move to where he is. But if you are in a home where Jesus Christ is lifted high in one person and not the other, then I want you to know Abraham had an example. What I love about this is, how did Sarah know she had a new name? Abraham had to have gone and said, God is gonna bless us, right? How did, Ab how did Sarah know that the Lord was outside the tent? Because Abraham ran into the tent, said, we have amazing visitors. How did she know to listen? because her spouse spoke to her. So if you are living with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, whether that be your child, your husband, or your wife, whether that be your in-laws, your aunts and uncles in the room, church, you let them see crazy for Jesus. You let them know when he's drawn near. You, you speak to him of his presence. And you leave the rest up to him. Because yesterday does not define tomorrow. And God says, you can't even imagine what I have planned for you. What Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you in me, but I am the vine. I am the vine. Church, this morning, that's the invitation. I am has made himself known to you. And the question is, will you move to him and allow him to wash over you to redefine your tomorrow? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, as we look at this broken, fractured family, we have a husband who's running after you and a wife for whatever reasons decides to hold back. What I know in this room, there are many of those situations and there are some of the others. There are women who are running after you and their husbands are holding back. But I don't believe that Abraham's blessing was stolen by his wife because he was so consumed with the God who had invited him to draw near. But that doesn't mean he gave up on her. So Father God, in this time, in this place, for those who claim the name of Jesus, Lord, would you let us run crazy hard with a crazy love after you? Unafraid of what someone might say, unafraid of what it might cost. Because we don't want a broken tomorrow. We want what you have planned for those who love you. And Father God, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl in this room today who has not drawn near to you, Lord, today would you let them know that, that we don't have to wait 
for you to appear in, in the oaks of Mamre. But Father God, instead, we know that through Jesus Christ, you have chosen to dwell in the flesh. And that through him, inviting him, Lord, receiving that invitation to be our Lord and Savior, or that we can leave the tent and we can dwell in a new life in him. So Father God, would you allow the hearts of those inside to unzip that tent and confess your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.